This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop. And hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Alex Golu, CEO of 11Site. The pandemic made everybody realize you need to be present online. And today we are working on educating people that you can't just put unnecessary friction on customers who are trying to call you because they are qualified, especially in B2B. Nobody calls a business just to have a conversation. It's like, I have a problem. I did my homework. You are a good candidate as a solution, but will you talk to me? And if you don't, then you lose that customer. This is Alex. He's a veteran of the Bay Area venture and angel startup ecosystem with two positive exits and working on his third. He's highly experienced in automated highways, telecommunications, especially real-time video and supply chains. Alex holds a bachelor degree from MIT and a master's and PhD degree from UC Berkeley. And he also has been granted eight patents. Over time, he has built a passion for applying bleeding edge software and system technologies to neglected or unnoticed complex business problems in diverse industries. And in his role as an entrepreneur and lecturer at the UC Berkeley Sutaraja Center for Entrepreneurship and Technology, he uncovered how SaaS companies can shorten sales processes from 10 days to 15 minutes. And that became the founding idea behind his latest company, 11 Site. Their motto, all it should take is one click. And that inspired me. And hence I invited Alex to my podcast. We explore what's broken in the B2B sales process especially when buying decisions take less than 30 days. Alex shares his vision on how to dramatically shorten sales processes while increasing conversion. He elaborates on the principles he follows to build a unicorn business, how to avoid failure, and how to design the business to minimize dilution of ownership. And by listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, how optimizing your SaaS for the needs of your customers' customers can take impact to the next level. Secondly, why you should always be looking at the value you're creating for your customers, and in particular, how they perceive that value. 
Thirdly, how to leverage data from your solution to help your customers create a flywheel of value that encourages them to do more and more. And fourthly, the critical filters that you have to pass through to set out on your startup journey. Hi, Alex. Thank you for making the time available today and being the guest on this podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for making time. Yeah, well, obviously, your company, 11 Sites, has caught my attention, typically because I'm also kind of really interested in this whole phenomena these days around like what video can do for business rather than just video recording or video communication. And what I like is the spin that you make on it in terms of, yeah, the unbeatable speed lead guaranteed uh, yes. part and convert clicks and eyeballs into clicks, eye contacts and trusted relationships. And I think that has a lot of value these days in the world we're living in. Yes. Yes. I mean, so, I mean, what we are seeing is in the pandemic, people have realized they can conduct business online. So, yeah. Today, I sit in this chair and I'm talking to people around the globe and I have investors, I have customers that are elsewhere. So that means that it becomes easier and easier, especially for a B2B SaaS company to sell their solution globally. And in fact, this notion of product-led growth came also from the realization that a SaaS company can sell anywhere. Now, the question is, will the product sell itself or will generate the lead? And it's then up to you to close the sale. And that's basically where 11 site comes in is we realize all of us that you still need to talk to your customer to create legitimacy and trust to better understand their requirements and to make sure that they understand they are going to be in good hands with you and your product will fulfill your requirement. And the best way to do that is in a video conversation. Now, we all used standard meeting rooms in the pandemic and technology always fell short. So at 11 site, we felt that it's necessary to build video interaction tools, both one-on-one conversations ad hoc, as well as meeting rooms, that are targeting the needs of sales and marketing organizations to help them close more deals. So let me pause there because that's a good intersection for like the question I want to typically always start with. What was the big idea that led you to found the company? Because that was in 2014, I see. So that was early on in the the video game. What was the problem that you saw that just, yeah, was screaming? We didn't have the pandemic yet. Yeah. They're taking a step back. Like, this is my third startup. The second collaboration with Farah Kafi, our CTO, Rafael, who is our VP of marketing, was our VP of marketing at our second company. And what we do is we try in our startups to see technological changes and reframe problems the way they are being solved. And what we saw is that internet bandwidth was becoming amply available. Everybody had a device with a camera. So we saw it coming that people were going to do more business online. Now, we were aware of Zoom. Zoom was around in 2014. WhatsApp was around and FaceTime was around. So we said, friends talking to each other, that's taken care of. Generic meeting room, that's taken care of. Where can we make a difference? And we found out that there were no solutions that help businesses come closer to their customers online instantly. 
So we said it should be possible for the prospect to reach the business with one click, no downloads, no appointments. And that's because of the big shift we are observing in the market is that today's prospects are well-informed. They do their homework. And that homework is not necessarily on the business's website. Sometimes it's on G2, Captera, YouTube. So from any of those sources, the customer should reach the business without friction, without having to be pestered by an AI chatbot, filling out forms and scheduling meetings that are five to 10 days from now. So we said, okay, so there is an opportunity where we can make the prospects' lives easier. Then we looked at the business. We said, you know, it's like in your book, you also talk about how important it is to know your ideal customer. Yeah. And we said, okay, so where does this make a difference? Because if this is a $17 t-shirt, I don't want to talk to the vendor. They don't want to talk to me. If this is a million dollar deal, there will be an RFP and nine month sales cycle. So who cares if the first meeting is right away or in five sure. days? Anywhere in between where the sales cycles are 30 days or less, which is like automotive sales, home retail, B2B SaaS companies, it is actually pretty quick. Interesting. And in that frame, if you actually had a five to 10 day delay to interact with that prospect, chances are you're going to lose them. 78% of people buy from the first vendor they talk to. Only 70% of people show up to a scheduled meeting and that number is decreasing. So we said, okay, so mm -hmm. for the prospect instant connection, we also then looked at the business and we said, okay, what does a business need? Because we are rethinking the way things are done, right? We are not optimizing things for the needs of the salespeople who will prepare and you know come into a meeting room. We are optimizing it for the need of the prospect. So we built nice. in capabilities into product that said, okay, we will make sure that we'll leverage call context, any information from the CRM call source to make sure that we pick the most suitable available salespeople and ring them and bring them instantly into the conversation. And we also make sure that we give those reps the call context, the meeting get, what they should accomplish in this meeting. Maybe the get is schedule a meeting with an account executive Maybe the get is, hey, get them, take out the credit card and just sign up online or just sign up for the get the prospect, do the premium sign up online and move the deal forward. So that's basically where we saw the opportunity. Now, in 2014, when we we're thinking about this, the company started in 2016. This wasn't quite technically possible because yeah, we needed imagine. certain standards like WebRTC to be available in Safari, especially on iOS. Yep. All of that came together early 2020. And the, wow. here's the funny thing is like, it's an entrepreneur's journey. Early 2020, we are saying, okay, this video thing, it's not happening fast enough. We should move slowly with our product roadmap. And then May of 2020, we were saying, okay, video is here now. We better accelerate. Because it's right? faster than we ever thought it would happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you can be ahead of the market, and that has to, that can sometimes have to do with, with demand for, but it can also, of course, have to do with technology standards that are simply not there. Yes. But once they are there, you know, then you have to be there as well. I like the point that you made about the point that you said, okay, we are reframing problems 
in order to work well, where can we make the biggest difference? And I mean, okay. in my book, I'm talking about trait number three of the define remarkable software companies. They aim to be different, not just better. I saw that in your book, be different, not just better. And actually, it is true. Like as a company, you could either build a solution that's cheaper, faster, better. But in that case, it's easier to sell because people know that problem and they know to buy for it. But then if you look at technology trends and you can reframe the problem, then you do need to go through some degree of education. But that's how you can build a unicorn, right? Because now you are really creating value by reframing a way a problem was solved and looking at it differently. I mean, the canonical example, obviously, is the carbon paper and the Xerox machine. Yeah. And we also, like when we were using our Motorola StarTech flip phones, we never thought that we would want to play computer games on it. That was not a problem or manage our entire calendar on it. But when the technology became available with touchscreens, it changed the way our lives works. Now, something like that requires significant more investment. Apple yeah. could come up with the iPhone. There was another company, Danger Research, that was trying to do this before Apple, but they just didn't have enough funding. Yeah, that's always the case, right? I asked a CEO that I, that I talked to about like his business and creating predictable traction. And I said, so what do you believe is the biggest challenge you have in order to kind of achieve your aspirations and he started with money and then after that came time it's always those two that are always your enemy it's interesting how that how it goes about and what choice do you make in order to kind of optimize for that that's what my next question will be about in this whole trajectory 2014 sort of the idea started company was yeah but then officially started to kind of 2016 like you said with your other co-founders yes and then you start building, you realize that the market isn't quite ready or technology isn't quite ready. What decision appeared to be really important for the success that you are having today? I mean, it's always be looking at the value you are creating for your customers yeah. and making sure that they also perceive the value. Because when we first started it was all about just doing video calls. And I mean, in all honesty, we didn't know if we were going to frame that for... So customer engagement is a very big topic. You could do oh, customer yeah. success. You can do deal close. You can focus on sales and marketing at the beginning on accelerating lead conversion. And we found that it's at the beginning that people want to engage this in. Because that's where the funds are. That's where the revenue centers are. Yeah. So being able to understand who is motivated to do this, because like if you are actually buying a product with, so in SaaS, every month is a renewal. It's a new booking. So that's why we have this frame of customer success as opposed yeah. to customer support, right? Exactly. Customer support, if it's a cost center, they're not going to do a video. So you come to realize that very quickly that that's where you want to appease the customer, have somebody in some other country text chatting with five people. But if this depends on renewal and the next revenue and the churn, then the revenue center will be a lot more interested in actually answering calls with video. Still, we started with sales and marketing first, and we are going to move into customer success in time. What we are also doing 
it's worth mentioning in parenthesis is that we do have other solution providers and system integrators who are adding native video capabilities to their solutions. So the way we built our platform is you can come to our website and you can actually sign up and use it. You can call us. We'll work with you. We'll make sure that you succeed with our product. So we are our first customer in that. Or if you want to add video to your marketplace or your otherwise CRM solution, then we will work with you and we'll make it really easy for you in a no-code, low-code fashion, add video to your solution. So being able to sort of see where you are able to create value and traction. Very important word there. And I love that you bring it up. And I always look for value. What I wrote down is that they perceive the value. Yeah. That is, I think, something that a lot of companies forget. You know, They think, okay, we're delivering value here. It's making the customer aware about this value every time they use it. Have you done specific things to make that a reality for customers? I mean, so our first customer, we were lucky because they themselves, I mean, this was 2019. They were pioneering. This was Fiat who wanted to put the button on their websites. They actually did a lot of advertising on Facebook and on Instagram and so forth. But what they did is they did a comparison of conversions, like internet leads, generic conversion, and incoming video calls and resulting sales. And what they realized is that it's about three times more likely that a video-initiated interaction will result in a sale than any other internet lead, and customer satisfaction goes up. Now, in our case, what we can show our customers is how many contacts and leads we have generated from incoming video calls. And what we are doing is we are now working with them to connect that contact to a deal that was generated and ultimately to revenues as that deal closed. So for all of that, we obviously need to be much more tightly integrated into their CRM. So essentially what happens in our solution is when a call comes in and the sales rep answers, we can actually, within the call, within that environment, create a contact in the CRM where we capture, okay, which website did this come from? Which campaign was this on? Who answered? What line did the call come in? So that all of that information informs marketing what's working and informs sales what's working. And then showing those statistics back to the customer basically is how we can articulate value. And that's the thing in the revenues is if you are closing more, always be closing, right? Always be closing, yeah, exactly. Let me make a small interruption here. Alex just made an excellent remark that underpins the predictability of the traction that they are creating. First, instead of focusing on everyone that could use video, they focus on those use cases where value and urgency are the highest. The second point, they don't only provide the video call capability, but also feed the system with critical data that informs both marketing and sales what's working and what's not, thereby fueling the machine to become better and better. And that drives both adoption and diffusion of the product within their customer's business. This is their secret behind high net revenue retention rates. It's a trait remarkable software companies master. They focus on the essence, then create new value possibilities and design their solution to grow value and desirability amongst their customers. With that, they create predictable traction. And you can master these traits as well. 
The first step? Simply read my book. I've made the electronic version available for free. Just visit theremarkableeffect.com to grab your copy and inspiration will spark in the next 10 minutes. Back to the interview. Yeah, I mean, another thing that that's always intrigues me and you already talked about, what choice do you make on the product strategy side? Like, what do you invest time and effort in that is going to be your IP where you can make the difference and what do you outsource? I mean, there's so many components involved here. Can you give an example of the thing that you say, okay, this is how we, where we partner, but this was something that we needed to own. So that actually is a very good point because when we started building our video call platform, there were some other people who provided APIs that we could leverage and build the entire platform on it. And yeah. what we came to realize is that if we do that, we would be limited to the choices they make. Because we uh-huh. really wanted our solution to work on any platform, any browser, any device, without any downloads, appointments, and platform and app restrictions, right? So we decided that our initial stack needs to be all ours. Now, we needed the WebRTC standard to sort of percolate. That's nothing we could do about it. That was more of a waiting game. Chrome came first, then Firefox, Opera, and Apple, Safari, iOS dragged their feet until early 2020, right? That was one thing it was, we couldn't even outsource. It was a bet we made that WebRTC standard will hold because in 2018, Apple was saying, oh, we'll never do this. And we are like, no, they'll have to do it, right? But then we also had to integrate the SIP standard into this. So for the SIP standard, we bought a SIP stack from a vendor and we integrated their code in it because we didn't need to reinvent that entire SIP stack. And we host online. So a lot of tools that AWS provides around load balancing, et cetera. I mean, that's not our core competence. Our competence is making sure that the call connects every time. That's the technology piece. And then the solution piece is make sure the prospect is happy and make sure that we are meeting the needs of the business and the rep, which then means, okay, you now need to integrate into their stack. You need to give them the right routing algorithms. So those are the places where we are focused on doing things and which is things like hosting and so forth. That's where we use what we can get off the shop. Yeah, I understand. What has been the hardest nut to crack on this journey? If you are doing a startup that's like somewhere in between those two ends of like reframing the problem entirely and just doing faster, better, cheaper, somewhere in between is a good startup opportunity because you can give people a trajectory of migrating to your framing of the problem that creates value for them. So always in those type of startups there is certain degree of education you need to make in the market and that's why i mean i'm so glad to talk to you because then your audience hears about this and it's getting the first success story so we locked out that into c we found early traction we are now parlaying that into b SaaS companies which are now also recognizing this big shift that when the phone rings, they need to answer. Recently, Jason Lamkin, the founder of Saster, wrote an article about that. 
We increasingly see blog posts on LinkedIn that people hate chatbots and oh, yeah. answering the lead, the fastest return is the best return. That's why on our website, we say, you know, the fastest connection guaranteed, because if your phone rings or your computer rings, by the way, we ring any device, then if you answer it, that's the fastest connection guaranteed. Exactly. That's true. I like, first of all, how you pronounce the whole thing on the website. It's memorable, which is another thing that's, yeah. of course, very important. When did the product really come to market? I mean, I hope it was before 2020. Yeah, it was in 2019, as I said, that we started rolling it out because while it wasn't working on an iOS phone, it mm -hmm. still had enough of an environment where enough prospects were able to originate calls. Yeah, so that's exactly. when we rolled it out. And at that point, it was only one-on-one -on -one calls. But then in 2020, we added then three-way calling, call transfer. We added meeting rooms. Nice. So that actually goes back to early January 2020. We were like, okay, we can implement this all in good time. And then in May of 2020, it's like, okay, we need all of these capabilities yesterday. And even today, we are working very hard and very fast to integrate with HubSpot, to integrate with Salesforce, so that people who already have a tech stack for their sales and marketing organization yeah. don't feel like oh, we are adding yet another solution provider. It's like something that just comes in and works with what we have. So it's important yeah. that you make your solution as easy to integrate into an organization's workflows. So that's Maybe. basically what we are optimizing now. Yeah. What is a lesson that you learned from selling this? Is there anything that stood out over this period that you didn't expect but had to overcome? I mean, late 2019, early 2020, the resistance we were seeing is, oh, you know, if the customer wants to buy from me, they should come in, right? Or they should schedule a meeting and I'll talk to them. And we were like, but don't you want to sell more? Yeah. So that was surprising to us. And that's when, you know, early 2020, we were saying, okay, people don't quite want to do this. And we actually explored a lot of places where this would make a difference. This goes back to knowing your ideal customers. I have this yeah. funny story that like I was talking to a baker because we thought that, hey, if I want to buy a cake, I want to call the baker. I want them to show me the cake they have so that I know it's worth for me to go in. I'll tell them reserve this. And yeah. the baker said, look, I bake 200 cakes a day. I sell 200 cakes a day. You want to buy my cake, you come into my store. Right. So there are people and customers of that mindset. So, but then again, as I said, it's the pandemic made everybody realize you need to be present online. And today we are working on educating people that you can't just put unnecessary friction on customers who are trying to call you because they are qualified, especially in B2B. Nobody calls a business just to have a conversation. It's like, I have a problem. I did my homework. You are a good candidate as a solution, but will you talk to me? And if you don't, then you lose that customer. That's definitely the case. Yeah, exactly. It's traditional, right? This mindset of customers, the risk that they want to take, what they stand for. And if you stand for 
being upfront and being customer driven, these things will yeah. will be adopted. And we have examples of that. I mean, both as a customer as a vendor, because as I said, we are our first customer. People can come to our website or find us elsewhere and call us, and we answer. And like one time, it's ten o'clock at night, and I was working on a presentation for the next day on the incoming line. I answered the call, and this person was ready to go and buy a meeting room platform from WebEx. Yeah. And he did just one last search, uh-huh. found us, and I answered, and he's now our customer. Had I not Very answered cool. that, an hour later, he would have actually gone the other direction. Yeah, exactly. Right? Conversely, like back in December, we needed a payroll company. We talked to WebEx. ADP, Paychex, and Trinet, they all made me fill out consensus forms, et cetera. But Trinet got back to me right away. We had a handshake. And it was only after that that the other companies came to me to schedule a meeting. And of course, the Trinet left the station because it's like January is approaching. I know I need to do this. And there is no major difference. Very, very, very true. 78% of the time gets the deal. The first vendor got the deal in my kids. That's the way the world works these days. And whether you can handle that or not, that's the yeah. choice that you make. I mean, while we are talking here on this screen, I got a sort of two thirds. I see someone still waving at me on your website. So <laughs> got to try to get attention, hit the button. And hey, I mean, so what I definitely encourage is people who listen to the podcast should come to our website and they should call our sales line. They may get me. I am on that line, it escalates to me, but people will be able to transfer that call to me. So if they say, hey, I've seen Alex on Tandobi's podcast and I wanted to have a follow-up conversation, I'm always happy to engage and do follow-up conversation. So I definitely encourage them to do that. And I also encourage them to actually use our solution because for our freemium, what we decided to do is we give all capabilities of the product for a limited period of time, as opposed to like slicing and dicing of the capabilities mm-hmm. where you don't know what everything the product can do. So yeah. they can actually come and they can sign up. And I'm looking for the promo code we created just for you. It's Tech10, T-E-C-H-1-0. So if right. they actually sign up with that promo code, they'll get an additional 10% discount. So call us, talk to me, use our solution, especially if you yourself are running a B2B SaaS company, if your customers should make their decisions quickly and you want to talk to them because what you're selling is not a commodity, you still need to talk to them to close exactly. the deal. Yeah, perfect plug for your products. And I would have asked for it anyway at the end. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe. It brings me to another point, like how the world is changing from sales-led to product-led and sort of the hybrids in between. What are you seeing there? So this is part of that big shift too, right? Because it used to be that everything was on the company's website. When you ran a marketing campaign, 
it was all in your control and you directed things to your website. Now that the information is on many different websites where people are doing shopping, your presence everywhere else is actually generating leads for you. So it's a much more omni-channel presence. Mm -hmm. So if you do your homework right, and if you have a good product, and if it is generating value, and if you are able to articulate that value, your ratings will go up, your reviews will go up, and those reviews and ratings and people talking about you will generate leads for you. And yet, when people come to your website, they may or may not be ready to give out their credit card. And last year, we actually sold our solution on AppSumo. And it was amazing how a five-minute conversation we're having with people made them choose, okay, I'm going to go buy this. Because, I mean, in our case, we also have the advantage that if you call us, that actually completes the demo. It's like, this is exactly how it's going to work on your website. When your customers call you with one click, you're going to answer. That is the change that is happening now is if you have a good product, if your leads are coming to you, and if they're going to decide quickly, you better help them decide quickly. They are also going to equally as fast decide to buy somebody else's solution or just move on because there are so many different solutions you can buy to solve different problems you have in your Mm -hmm. business. Some you buy a software for, some you don't. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. It's depending, of course, on how valuable the problem is to solve and how critical it is to solve. That drives a lot. Talking about, I'm in the process of writing my second book, which is about the lessons that we can learn from, the, for example, the pandemic, how not only bounce back from adversity, but typically how to come out as a stronger company. Mm-hmm. Is there any anecdotes in relation to that that is worth sharing here? I can imagine that your market didn't go to zero. I think it yeah. actually did. I mean, in our case, the other, it was the other way around, right? Because as I was saying earlier, we thought that, okay, this is not happening fast enough. And then boom, it happened almost too fast for our taste because we would have preferred a slower rollout. But what has happened is during the pandemic, we all used whatever technology was available to meet our needs. I mean, everybody knows that like video of a lawyer that was in a Zoom meeting in a courtroom. He looked like a cat and he couldn't change the filter that somebody else set for them, right? So we used whatever technology was available to meet our needs. And the technologies are now evolving to actually solve specific problems. There are people who are building solutions for courtrooms, for classrooms. I'm sure everybody in the audience has been in some sort of a air meet or hop in type of event. There are companies who are focused on webinars with 300 people or so. So last year, Gartner, I mean, obviously, meeting rooms are important. Did a generic analysis of meeting rooms along usability and customer satisfaction. We placed in the upper right, but it was already evident that the list of companies on that chart were already in different verticals. Some were doing webinars. Some were focused on collaboration. And we and a couple other companies, we are focused on the needs of customer engagement and specifically sales and marketing organizations. So video is actually in its growth phase and is going vertical. Now that we learn this is working, the solutions will come closer to what we need. Yeah. 
Well, one of I mean, you said, of course, beginning of the pandemic, everything started to accelerate, possibly too fast. Yes. One thing, of course, is also, I mean, you're not in a space where that is exactly empty, you know, it's becoming a very, very dense space. And people actually on the outside don't know what's the difference between Zoom, WebEx, GoToMeeting or 11 site. What is your strategy in order to stay ahead of the curve? And So, and- I mean, you are correct that there isn't that much of a difference GoToMeeting or WebEx today because it's just a screen with a bunch of squares and the layout may be different, and maybe the performance will be a bit different, but not much more. But we are differentiating by going vertical, because if you come into a video call with our solution or into a meeting, on the right-hand side, we will give you a number of what we call call cards Mm. that are integrated into your CRM and backend information, right? So the caller, maybe we'll ask them for their email address, we can take that into a Zoom info and clear bit, get more about that individual. We can take that into the CRM. Maybe we know more about that caller, about that customer. The particular line the call was on, maybe it was for a specific campaign. So we can tell the rep, okay, this is the get of this meeting. This is what you are trying to achieve. And then any notes the rep takes right there in the meeting screen on their laptop get saved back into the CRM in a way that they actually get credit for being the first one talking to this content. So what we are trying to do in differentiate ourselves is go vertical. So our solution is not going to be suitable for a classroom or a courtroom. The same way those solutions aren't going to be suitable for sales and marketing. And what I think will happen is, and I'm sure Zoom and GoToMeeting and WebEx will pick certain verticals where they are going to go up on the value chain. So there will be this segmentation of two, three brand names for different verticals that will emerge. And our goal is to be one of those unicorns in customer engagement. And then there will be a consolidation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the typical journey always. Well, we already talked about trade number three in my book, Remarkable Software Companies aim to be different, not just better. You mentioned this is your third startup with the same team almost. What do you believe are key traits that you have to incorporate into your business in order to be, first of all, recognized and then also kind of stay there? Yeah. I mean, people talk about team is important, right? The trust among the team members, the trust that you have each other's back and you will take responsibility and own it and deliver it. The other is resilience and perseverance, because even if you do everything right, things may go wrong. So something will go wrong. And if you stay in the business long enough, something definitely will. Because, I mean, my first startup was in the dot-com era, in the boom. We started when we had the product, the market had actually tanked. We had like an RFP, a decision was pending, and that RFP would have made or broken our company on the day of the decision was September 11th. The decision wasn't made. Luckily, a week later, the decision came in our favor, right? So there was that economical downturn. In my second company, there was that 2008-2009 economical meltdown. So we had a company that had done 100K, a million, 2 million. We were aiming at four. Instead, we did one. 
And then we did one, one, and then ultimately we built back up. And in 2020, we sold that company for 50 million in a management roll up to Excel KKR. So it's a software roll up. So perseverance and resilience is important. And then the other thing is always be looking at the value that you are creating and it's being perceived because if that's not there, you are not going to be able to grow. Yeah. Any specific thing that surprises you? Because you actually talked about three of the big crises around the resilience side. I mean, what surprises me is that a lot of startups fail because of the team and the lack of the team cohesion. And it's hard, right? I mean, for example, in this company, this is our third startup. The first few, it was nice that we had venture funding early on. But come the exit, our ownership was in single digits. This time, we have put our money where our mouth is. And our goal is to actually have that double-digit output right? Ownership at the exit. The other thing is we were also realistic with our expectation because the first time we were doing a startup, we defined success as seeing the company through without screwing it up. And we did. We saw it through. We made some money in the process. The second time around, it was all about making money for all shareholders. And that happened. This time we are aiming for the upside. It's like just some money but let's build a 100 million ARR company that at that point, whatever that multiplier is going to be billion and above a unicorn. Because I think the opportunity is there. We estimate that at least 20 million salespeople in the world that are in that high velocity sales, where it behooves them to talk to the customer ASAP, engage them when the customer reaches out, And if you look at the entire customer engagement, you roll in customer success, closing the deal, that number goes up a factor of four or five. And the amount of verticals that are going to need custom meeting rooms, custom solutions for our platform business, that's also huge. So that's why we are pushing on all of that. And we ourselves are also working on layering in our product-led growth making our solution as simple as possible for people to come and use by signing up on our website. Of course, we are always happy to answer a call if they have any questions. Then for that, we are actually out there in the market and talking about the solution, having our customers talk about our solution. That's how you generate awareness. Exactly. Yeah. Very well said. I wrote down, I circled the point about cohesion. And that is something that I heard a lot of times also from the interviews that I did with other people around. The lessons learned to become remarkable resilience. Yeah, I mean, actually, one thing about the team, sorry to interrupt, is it's important to understand the financial needs of all the founders. Because if one is worried about the mortgage and the tuition of their kid, Whereas the other person has already done a startup and they have six years worth of savings already in the bank, right? That is a challenge because the risk tolerance of those people are not the same. Exactly. So what have you done there? Make sure that the team members are actually of similar risk profile. And if it's different, compensate them differently. Yeah, understand, understand. All right. I think you've already answered that question. 
what I always want to end with is from the tidbits of wisdom that you've gained over time, what would be an, a do or a don't to people that aspire to kind of start something like you've done or people that want to step up their game? So the key thing is that if you think that if you talk to other people, they can steal your idea, that's not a good startup idea, right? Because if you thought of it, there are 6 billion people in the world, others have thought about it. So the question is, okay, why you, why your team? Why can you build a better solution? Do you have a technology advantage? Do you have a market advantage that you can reach the customers? Because if it's just an idea, then there is a much better team out there who will ultimately do it, even if you are the first mover. Yeah. That's true. Of course, there's always like, if it's a basic idea, there will be other people that have thought about it as well. But maybe it's really like very, very unique thing. But then, of course, other things come in play as well. Like ideas are cheap, but then it comes to execution. That's where... Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of good ideas. Only a subset are good business ideas. Only a subset are good business ideas for a startup. Only a smaller subset are good business ideas for a startup for a given team because they are a differentiator. Exactly. And then only a subset of them are fundable because investors also have their own passion and moods of what they invest in and what they don't invest in. So you need to pass through all of these filters before you set on your journey. Well said. Well, I mean, we've come to the top of the hour is maybe the wrong word here, but to the end. I want to thank you for how open you've been and the lessons that you've shared with the audience. Impressive journey that you've been through. I like the way you look at building a business that has legs, that has staying power, and that creates value. Where can people go to find out more about 11Site so, uh, or to say hi to you? Yeah, go to 11Site.com. If you call our sales line on the pricing page that says call us, that will ring the sales line. Sometimes I'm on it. But even if I'm not on it, you can actually tell people, hey, can you transfer me to Alex? I was listening to the Tons podcast. So they will then transfer the call to me and I would be happy to talk to you. And as I said earlier, do try out our product. Call us and talk to us about our product. Our team will actually help you with that. And if you actually sign up with the promo code TECH10, while Initial few weeks are free. Thereafter, you will get an additional 10% discount. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Alex. And good luck on the journey. Thank you. And let's stay in touch. We will surely do. And this ends my conversation with Alex. And I hope you enjoyed it. If so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Alex Golu, CEO of 11 Site. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. 
And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.